Bullshit. It's the No Bullshit Marketing Show. I'm Dave Mastovich. We are at the Pittsburgh Business Show, where it's been a great day for Mass Solutions, the No Bullshit Marketing Show, but more importantly, for podcasting in Pittsburgh. We were on a panel with John and Rachel from the Yad Jagoff podcast, and also Natalie from the broadcast. We all had the chance to talk about what happened with podcasting, how it started, how it's grown, how to market it, how to build a podcast and do one if you want to begin your own podcast. It ended up being a tremendous uh, a tremendous session and a bunch of great people. So really enjoyed any time we spend with uh, John, Rachel, and Natalie, some of the other podcasters here in Pittsburgh is much enjoyed. They just kind of, we feed off of each other, have a whole lot of energy Annie Spiewak is here with us as well. Your thoughts so far on the day, Annie? Well, I think it was really cool. I loved uh, the first segment here, which hopefully, if you're listening now, that you have already listened to this. Um, and what makes podcasting so important and why businesses shouldn't be investing in it from a content marketing strategy, but also from an advertising strategy as well. Well, we were talking on the, on the actual panel, and I mentioned how 85% of podcast listeners listen to the entire show. And that's such an important point because what it means is if you're listening to podcasts, you're a loyal listener and you listen to the entire show and you can listen to it again and it doesn't die. Whereas in traditional media, if you were interviewed on an AM uh, morning show or an FM morning show, once it was on, it was gone. If you were on a television show in an interview or if you ran your commercial and paid for an ad on the TV show, on the broadcast or cable systems, it was gone. Whereas with the podcasting, it's audio on demand. It lives forever. And that's why you see that there's loyalty because people choose what they want to listen to. Our loyal no BSers choose to listen to the No Bullshit Marketing Show. They tend to listen to it in its entirety. They tend to go back. I had a CEO who listened to me speak in Milwaukee who sent me an email this week, and he mentioned a show from months ago, and he actually mentioned the sponsor. And that's... The whole thing about audio on demand, here he is, a CEO from Milwaukee, and he's listening to a show that was probably three, four, maybe even six months old, and he could end up possibly purchasing from our sponsor. He could purchase from us. He gained value. That's the key about audio in demand, on demand. What I think is so cool um, is that NPR found that 75% of podcast listeners actually end up taking action from a podcast-sponsored ad or message. And so um, that action might be they go to research or visit the website or perhaps they download something from the ad or they use um, some sort of coupon code to purchase. And so I think that um, what's really interesting about podcasts is that listeners end up building this sort of dialogue and really trusted relationship with the host. And so for you, I know that sponsor is probably Larimer's. And we know as a host that you're only going to promote and talk about things that you personally endorse. And so I think, again, there comes that trust factor there with the host. Well, today I actually mentioned the jacket that I have on and mentioned Larimer's and the people in the crowd started laughing during the panel because they said, shameless plug. And I said, no, I was just pointing out that I don't advertise uh, on my podcast stuff that I don't personally use. Now, we're at that point where we're not in it for the advertising. We're in this because we're passionate about podcasting and we're passionate about no bullshit marketing and we're passionate about featuring leaders and learning about their stories. That all is why we do the no bullshit marketing show. 
And it's worked for us because those leaders like the show, those leaders get to know more about Mass Solutions. We've had some sponsors, but that's not the end all. Our listeners gain tremendous value. We're extremely niche oriented. We're not like a show that uh, anyone can just stop and listen to. So when someone's doing a show that's about uh, Natalie's show, for example, any woman could listen to that show and gain value. Not every single person will perceive the value that they can get from our show, even though they could. I think any person on the earth could listen to the No Bullshit Marketing Show and learn about leadership and communication, but you're not necessarily going to think that because you see it as no bullshit marketing. You say, well, I'm a physical therapist. I'm not going to gain from that. Whereas the broad-based ones with a broad title, you can get more of a broad audience. So we're very niche-oriented, but our listeners are loyal. They uh, believe in what we're talking about. So I'm not going to put a sponsor on unless it's something I believe in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, getting into those listeners and talking about really the most important thing is the customer, right? That's what our entire um, business is based around. It's what everyone's businesses should be completely focused on is the customer. And so for us, that's our listeners. And I think something that I hope people really took away from that first broadcast today is that it doesn't matter if you have 50,000 listeners, 100,000 listeners, million of listeners. It's who is listening? Are you hitting those target markets? Are you reaching the people that you really want to reach? And are they engaging with you? That's the key is engagement. And you and I have talked about this with our clients. So we're talking about multiple clients. The customers of the podcast are our listeners. But then Mass Solutions customers are our clients that are B2B and business-to-consumer companies. And what we always talk about is it's it's more about engagement. And that's why one of the things that you and I have been working on the past few weeks, because in my Vistage workshop, it, this is a big, big piece that people love, is the difference between strategic KPIs and tactical metrics. And what the difference is, is that strategic key performance indicators, strategic KPIs, drive the top and bottom line growth of an organization. Strategic KPIs are understood by the CEO, COO, CFO, and any other person with a C in front of their name. They're understood by middle management. They're understood by people that have P&L responsibilities. So from a marketing standpoint, I want to have strategic marketing KPIs. Doesn't mean we ignore the tactical marketing metrics. So a tactical marketing metric might be bounce rate on a website. It might be the number of impressions of a Facebook post or a LinkedIn post. When you use those types of metrics and you're talking to the CEO of the company or the CFO, they are not going to walk away comfortable and impressed. They are not going to walk away saying, wow, let's approve the big marketing budget. But when you talk strategic marketing KPIs like lifetime customer value or customer acquisition cost or lifetime customer value divided by customer acquisition cost to show you whether your spend is right. When you look at those key performance indicators, their strategic KPIs along with net promoter score, when you take those four strategic marketing KPIs and you build those into your system and you begin to make all of your marketing decisions, your communications decisions, your PR branding decisions, and even your marketing staffing decisions, based on those four strategic KPIs, you will gain the confidence and trust of the CEO, CFO, and others in the organization, and you will get the results. Far too many companies are focusing on tactical marketing metrics 
And those are still significant, but they don't show a true marketing ROI. And they aren't understood or valued by senior leadership. Senior leadership is not going to get excited about the number of hits. Senior leadership is not going to get excited about the number of impressions on a Facebook post. Senior leadership is not going to get excited by improving the bounce rate by X percent. Senior leadership isn't going to get excited about any of the metrics that are tied to numbers that they don't see as driving the business or understanding how they drive the business. Those metrics still have to roll up and help with those strategic KPIs. Those metrics are still valuable, but they should be talked about amongst the marketing team and at most mid-level managers in the organization. When you're getting to the strategic level of the organization, you have to talk strategically with strategic marketing KPIs. Wow. That was awesome. <laughs> so we've talked a lot about the last few weeks are these four strategic KPIs um, in marketing. And I think one that not many people know about, but really should, and really all four, is that net promoter score, that fourth one. And so maybe spend a minute explaining sort of what NPS is, net promoter score, why it's valuable, and how such a seemingly easy tool can be so beneficial for you. The reason that Net Promoter Score is what we consider at Mass Solutions to be one of your top strategic KPIs is because in today's world, customer satisfaction is expected and is a bare minimum. A customer survey is as expected as having a restroom in a restaurant. It's that bare minimum. So when you do a customer survey on a scale of 1 to 5, rate this, rate that, rate this, rate that, and you ask 10, 12, 15, 20 questions... That is a bare minimum of what you can do, and there's some value, but it's not enough to be a true barometer. And the the story I would give to that is Gallup has this great story about Gallup's uh, when they do key account reviews, which are really significant. A key account review would be when a business-to-business company retains mass solutions, and they say, this customer is 28% of our business, and we want to do a key account review. And so that Mass Solutions would sit down and talk to them and say, who are the five, seven, eight people at your large customer who interact with your company? Because there isn't only one person that is involved with any purchase. It could be your procurement officer. It could be the person that is the director. It could be the director's boss. The CFO might be involved, CEO. So multiple people understand the value or lack thereof of a company's product or service. So when you have five, six, seven people at a company, you come in and do what's called a key account review, and you have the interviews with them, and you have in-depth conversations. You're able to come back to your client, our client, and say, here's what your key account thinks. Well, Gallup is the international company that does this at the highest level that uh, why, why do we say at Mass Solutions we're the no bullshit marketing firm? Because we want to be able to work with any size company. The vast majority of companies can't afford Gallup. Gallup is awesome. They're fantastic. They do this well, and they're going to work with other multi-billion dollar companies. Somebody that does $80 million in annual sales ain't hiring Gallup, so they're going to hire a mass solutions type. But Gallup was talking to their client, a multi-billion dollar company, who had a multi-billion dollar client. And as Gallup went through their process of doing their key account review, they found that something was fishy. So finally, they couldn't really hear anything bad, but it didn't seem like there was a firm uh, excitement around the client's client. So 
Gallup had a top-level person meet with a top-level person at their client's client. In the midst of this meeting, the one, the client's client says to Gallup's top person, well, the truth is we're shopping them. We're about to leave. Your client is going to lose us as a client. So Gallup's representative says, do we have a chance? If I go back and talk to them, can you at least let them talk to you and see if they can save this? He says, I, yeah, I guess, but we're pretty far along. When they came back to Gallup's client and they said to that client, your, your client, our client's client is going to leave, someone on the team of Gallup's client said, but look at this, their customer satisfaction report. Look, look, they're satisfied. They're giving us fours and fives because a customer satisfaction survey is the bare minimum and it only evaluates a portion of how we really feel. For you to really understand what your customers feel, you have to go beyond just a basic customer survey. You have to do key account reviews like Gallup did for their client about their client's client. But you also have to do net promoter score. And why is net promoter score? Because it isn't about satisfaction. Net promoter score is about loyalty and retention. Because net promoter score is basically two questions. One says, on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely are you to recommend mass solutions? And what is that really doing? It's telling you how loyal you are and how you're going to retain that. Because whether or not they recommend you to someone is not really what that's saying. It's saying, would I recommend you? Because if I'd say a 9 or a 10 on that, that means, yes, I'm pretty happy with you, so I would recommend you. And if I recommend you to someone, I'm sticking with you. I've got to be loyal on retention because otherwise I'm an ass. I went out and recommended you someone and I quit. I, I used somebody else. So net promoter score has a value that it places on a 9 or a 10. If you give a 7 or 8, you're lukewarm. You might be shopping like this Gallup's client's client was. If you give a 6 or lower, you think they suck so bad that you don't even know how you're still working with them. So net promoter score takes all those responses together and comes back and gives you basically what your loyalty and retention value is with that particular customer. And that's why, Annie, that we want all of our customers, regardless of size, to use Net Promoter Score. Absolutely. And I think what's um, really interesting, too, is that when you're using NPS, you might have some 9s and 10s. Those are you, your promoters. Those are the people who love you. They're willing to recommend you and refer you to their family, friends, and colleagues. Then you have you know these sort of passive people. And so I think when we're looking at our clients' NPS and our own NPS, that's super important that we're thinking of a strategy to turn those passive clients of ours into promoters. And then we take those detractors, those people who answered six or below and are really unhappy with us, into passive and then again into promoting, into promoters. Uh, that way we can, again, retain, feed into our little lifetime value mm-hmm. right there, mm-hmm. and um, move forward and continue growing, but also ultimately serving our customers in the best possible way. You heard me say today on the panel something that I've said a lot over the years, and uh, I don't claim to have started this phrase. I'm just saying I've used this phrase a lot, and it's perfect as the enemy of good. And that's the same with these KPIs. When you want to try to start using these four strategic KPIs, you can obsess over how they're done. But the reality is talk to an expert, talk to someone that knows how to do this and get it started, because it's better to try and get started so you start moving towards having a lifetime customer value. 
and you start understanding the churn rate of your customers. You begin to look at your customer acquisition cost, how much you're spending on sales, how much you're spending on marketing to gain a new customer. And then when you divide those two, lifetime value and customer acquisition costs, that ratio helps you to understand whether maybe you're not spending enough. For instance, if your customers have a huge lifetime customer value and you have a a low customer acquisition cost, you probably should spend more on customer acquisition because they're going to stay longer. So that ratio has to be right. And that's why that third metric is lifetime customer value over customer acquisition cost. Here's my point. Perfect is the enemy of good. Begin to work on these. It doesn't take uh, a gargantuan effort. It takes work. It takes a marketing expert and it takes some investment of time and it takes some investment of money. But it, it does not have to be a $100,000 investment. It does not have to be uh, a full-time equivalent by any stretch of the imagination. It doesn't have to take nine months to get started. This is something that can be turned around four weeks, six weeks, 10 weeks, and you can begin to use these and you can start seeing how well the metric is working and maybe tweak some of the ways that you track it. But the key is to get started. Absolutely, Dave. And I think something um, maybe you can help answer for people who are listening. How long of data, what time period should we measure? What we do, and we have uh, we have a whole system as part of the Mass Solutions No BS Go-To-Market system. We have something called the Pareto Principle Plus, and that's what drives the building of all of your four key strategic KPIs. And our system involves looking at your own data. We believe a company's own existing data is gold that hasn't been mined. And what I mean by that is time after time, we talk to clients who have barely even looked at the Pareto principle, the 80-20 principle for their past year or past two years or past three years. And we go way beyond that to study those that information so we can start seeing trends. And the, the analogy I like to give is I could take a stethoscope out right now and I could walk around and I could hold that stethoscope up to somebody's heart and chest here in the business show, the Pittsburgh business show where we're broadcasting live from. And I would probably hear their heart, I'm guessing. I've not really ever done this. But that's about the, the, the amount of value that I would bring to it. But a physician can quickly pick something up and they're going to find a problem if there is one. Well, that's the same thing with marketing expertise. Anyone can go out and start looking at data, but you need to have somebody on your team that thinks differently. You have to have somebody on your team that's a no bullshitter, and you have to have someone on your team that has marketing experience. That person could be an in-house member, and if you don't have an in-house member, you should bring in outside expertise. Even if you have an in-house member, you should bring in outside expertise because they're going to challenge the status quo more. So that's the value that marketing expertise brings. But what we do is we say, give us your last three years of the sales data. And we, you know, there's all, if you want an NDA, all that stuff signed and so forth, but it's a relationship built on trust. So then we begin using our Pareto Principle Plus and we start looking at that data and we're going to look at one year at a time and we're going to first look at that churn rate and churn rate is how uh, often customers leave you, what, at what time frame they leave you, how often they leave during the year, what is your churn rate. So even if you're business to business or business to consumer, 
there is a churn rate. So for instance, at Mass Solutions, we tend to keep our customers really long. So our churn rate is probably lower than the industry average. But you still look at that churn rate, and then that starts to drive lifetime value for a year. You look at customer acquisition costs for a year, and the goal would be to look at all three years and say your customer acquisition cost has stayed flat, or no, it's jumped in this year, it went down in that year. So that does that help you think for our listeners to, to talk about how it's done? Oh, absolutely. I think so. And um, when we're talking about this customer acquisition cost, you know, we are factoring in our marketing and our sales costs there. And for many of us, many businesses, we go to trade shows such as the business show. Uh, for myself, this summer, I did my first ever trade show. It was in LA. It was called SIGGRAPH. And I was tasked with planning it. I was fresh out of college. And I can tell you, it was very stressful. And it wasn't really necessarily... Um, the actual going or talking to people, knowing what to talk about, how to explain complex products. It was, what's the strategy here? And something you've been talking about, you and I have recently while we prepare for your Vistage workshops, are trade shows. And what can we do pre-game, in-game, and post-game to really get return on investment there? What has to happen and doesn't is trade shows have been around for probably hundred, hundreds of years, maybe <laughs> even. And so trade shows have been around and they, they're sometimes just repeating, doing the same task again and again and again. Sure. Not enough companies spend the time to say, let's ask a question of why we went to each trade show that we went last year. And that there better be some meat behind it beyond just we always go there. And that's the first answer. And the second answer is it would be noticeable if we weren't there. And if that's your only two answers for going to the trade show, you could consider bagging that trade show. I'm not saying you definitely do, but you could. You have to go in beyond those two answers, questions and answers and say, what specifically are we going to do at that trade show? Is it worth it? So then once you decide to go to the trade shows, you have your year-long strategy of knowing which three, five, seven trade shows you're going to go to. Then you build what you just mentioned. We build the pregame, you know, pre-show, show, and post-show. But we use the sports analogy because we're a lot of sports people at Mass Solutions. But so we call it pregame, game, and post-game. And what you really need to do on the pregame is plan for the post-game. And why is that? Because anybody that goes to a trade show is there to talk to people and build relationships. And what happens is they come back from the trade show being gone for a whole week. They pull out the business cards and the receipts from their, their pocket and they throw it out on their desk and they see they've got 3,462 emails, a bunch of voicemails, a bunch of texts. The boss needs a report and nothing happens. So they went to this trade show and nothing happened. So what you want to do is to help your team that went to the trade show, you want to pre-show plan that actually creates the post-show touches so that they can quickly copy and paste different touches in to emails. You want to have a specific goal of how many people they're going to try to talk to. You want to outline which clients that are current clients that you're going to go to try and get a relationship building and upselling. You're going to look at the list of who's attending to see which ones you want to try to have meaningful conversations with. This is all part of your pre-strategy and asking the trade show for more because many people barely ask for anything from the trade show that they're going to. And the trade show is often willing to help you, giving you lists of who's coming, talking about different things at the event, talking about ways you can interact with the sponsor. So you have the pre-show then you have the show strategy. And, you know, you can't just have a booth. You've got to have interaction. You've got to have some sort of video. Annie, how many times do we talk about our clients having the old-style trade show booth and they don't even have – one person had a slideshow and we had to convince that person to use video. <laughs> and by using video, it changed the game for them. 
Oh, I mean, absolutely. I think it's it's funny that something as simple as using video can be so hard, especially in a trade show when you have so many, you know, moving pieces. You're trying to have meaningful conversations. You have planned out for however many months sort of your little game plan for this trade show. And then afterwards, like you said, you get home, you're filling out your expense report, you've got 97 receipts. 87 of them are from Starbucks. And then the other 10, you don't even know what they're from. But then you have all these business cards and you're thinking, where were they from? And so, again, it's just creating that strategy and making sure that you understand what makes this meaningful. What are we getting out of this? Yes. And like when you're there using video and and, uh, photos. So a little trick that I do from time to time, it's not so much a trick, it's the wrong word. But if I know I have a client there, I I definitely want to take a picture of them and post it to social. But if I have a specific prospect that I'm trying to get to know, I want to get the picture of them. So this actually helps because then you posted something. They feel like they got to know you and had a connection, but it helps you to remember because if you have seven business cards and you go and you snap seven pictures, you don't have to post all seven. But if you snap seven pictures of you with someone else, you know, you kind of are going to remember the name better. So it's a lot of times because it's embarrassing to say this, but you meet 15, 20, 30 people that are prospects. Or even when I do a Vistage speaking engagement, there'll be 20 people in the audience. And then I do three of them in a row. So I was in California last week talking to CEOs in three different Vistage groups, 20, 18, and 15. And they all blended together. If, if you or Bonita said to me, well, who is so-and-so? I would actually go, was that Wednesday? Or was that Tuesday? Was that the guy from this company or that company? Or was that the woman from this one? Because it blends together. Anything that can get you to remember it more so something as simple as just snapping a picture of you with them and then typing in the name on your, you know, on your phone or posting it right to LinkedIn and saying, hey, give me your LinkedIn name so I can get it on there. Then you have that forever. So those little things happen, but you have to, you have to make a conscious effort because otherwise you're investing a ton of actual time, which is the biggest cost, and then the cost for the booth, the cost for the flight, the cost for the miles, the cost for the food. You've got to try to justify that. I can definitely see where trade shows become kind of a big cost in making them meaningful and making them worthwhile and worth the investment. And of course, making your time worthwhile as well. Well, this was our special broadcast from the Pittsburgh Business Show. It's called Pittsburgh Business Spotlight, Where Business Happens, Connect, Grow, and Educate. We were very thankful that we got invited by John and Rachel from the Yajagoff podcast. Linda Joe Thornberry is the president of the Pittsburgh Business Spotlight. We thank her as well. It was a great agenda. We talked about podcasting in general to try to get people to understand to listen to podcasts, but also if they wanted to start their own, we gave them the reasons why. But it was great for Pittsburgh podcasting because we had Natalie from the broadcast. We had uh, Rachel and John talk about Yajagoff. We also had uh, we also have all kinds of other people here that were talking about podcasting. We had um, we had Piper represented, right? Uh, we, and we also had Darius Chisholm here. So we've had a lot of really good. Uh, we had Scott McTaggart from Pitchworks and Aaron Watson from Piper and uh, a young up and comer. I, I like I like what he's doing with his uh, videos and and the way he's approached his business. Just a really cool day. A lot of speakers and events here on. Uh, Wednesday, April 25th, and then Thursday, April 26th. So it's a fantastic day. Pittsburgh Business Spotlight, where business happens, and the special episode on site of the No Bullshit Marketing Show with me, Dave Mastovich, and Annie Spiewak. Annie, any last words? Let's hit the floor. Make some meaningful conversations. That's it. 
So remember, ask yourself, what's the big idea and build your story around the answer. It's all about bold solutions, no BS.